Welcome everybody to the Click Podcast. This is your uh, daily dose of DAO insights and deep dives. The DAO space is constantly evolving. It's hard to keep up on your own. So we are that show where you can kind of get your insights from the voices who are at the soul of every DAO that's going to be the future of work. I'm your co-host Abhishek Ajit and along with me is my co-host Abhishek Sanavne. Hi Abhishek, how are you doing? Hey man, doing good today. Uh, thank you. Fantastic. And uh, we've kind of had a steady roll of episodes in. And this is a, a guest that I find uh, really fascinating. Uh, for someone who's been at the soul of uh, the DAO and the company before that, he's been a steady voice for the sort of work that they've done. It's very, uh, it's very fascinating that someone who's kind of been a stable presence across the DAO has a name Disruption Joe. Hi, nice to meet you, Joe. How have you been? <laughs> pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> the sort of insights, he kind of leads the FTT workstream and he was formerly um, the growth and ops manager at Gitcoin. I think you still maintain some of that cadence also, I think. Uh, how are things? Well, uh, Gitcoin, I am workstream lead for the fraud detection and defense workstream. So our mandate is... Uh, Defending Gitcoin's quadratic funding from civil attacks. Uh, that's like uh, donor contribution fraud. Uh, then there's the grants themselves. Sometimes there's fraudulent impersonation. Uh, people pretending to be a company or brand that they aren't. Uh, sometimes there's civil rings where they try to get many grants that are, emulate what a real grant would look like uh, and get those approved so that a small civil ring can attack them. Uh, there's many ways. Uh, that we see fraud and it's an adversarial game. It's a red team, blue team exercise. Um, and as you said, yeah, I've been with the Gitcoin team for a while, uh, leading this work stream since August of last year after we uh, launched the DAO. Um, I was the first one to move from the company to the DAO and was very excited about it since I, I was giving talks on DAO since like 2017. So it's, wow, that's quite it a long great. time. <laughs> it's a great uh, experience to be able to jump over there and be the first one for Gitcoin. But uh, tell us, uh, Joe, I mean, uh, I think besides Aragon, I've not heard of a lot of people actually talking about DAO since 2017. That's the time I joined crypto, by the way. Uh, and you were actually talking about DAO since then. What is your story, Joe? I mean, uh, what were you doing prior to uh, crypto? And how did you kind of get fascinated with the DAO? I had experience with like a few jobs. There was one when I was like 20 years old where I was working in a parts department for a, an auto dealer. And, you know, I was <laughs> going to school and uh, was kind of thinking I could make that a full-time thing. The manager of the department walked out and I had started as a border washing cars when I was like 14. And here I am 19, almost 20 years old and just kind of took over the department. And after six months, I asked the general manager for a raise and he said, you know what, you actually need to quit. Like, I'm not going to fire you because you're doing the job. Like I just spent like when he, when the manager walked out, I spent like a weekend reading all the books and figuring out how to do everything. So they didn't need to hire somebody, but they wouldn't give me the pay. I didn't have any specific ownership in it. And, uh, that experience, I felt like multiple times at different jobs, like the, feeling of not being an owner of what you're doing, the feeling of, I always like to put extra effort into the work I do and do a good job and not everybody does. So how can, if I'm going to do that, can't I participate in 
the revenue that creates in the future. Uh, so as a management information system major at Paul and getting into crypto was really like uh, 2016, 2017, I started a meetup and it grew to almost 4,000 members in Chicago. Uh, during 2017, I was giving talks maybe twice a week. Uh, they started growing by the end of the year towards closer to like 150 people coming out. And it was like, oh, wow, we really need sponsors to buy this much pizza. And like really <laughs> were forced to turn it into something. And that entire time, I didn't want to own it. Like I didn't want to like be the person I wanted to live the way I thought we could, which is the whole reason I was into it. You know, my, my story was like, as soon as I saw like Vitalik's talk at DevCon 2 about Ethereum, that was really my introduction to Ethereum specifically. And as I was just like, oh, I'm got to work in this full time and make my career about this and, and immediately like did that. So I knew the tools were there and just wasn't sure how to make it. So that, that I wanted to do the startup around DAOs then. Uh, it wasn't like legally very easy. Everybody <laughs> told me the legal fees would be too much. We didn't have layer twos. It didn't make much sense. So I started up a conference company. Uh, it's called Voice of Blockchain. We threw a few big events in Chicago. And in 2020, that folded because of COVID. We couldn't have any more events. And I had had Kevin Owaki out a few times uh, to my conference and he was looking for help for the company and uh, reached out and have been at Gitcoin since since oh, September 2020. I mean, I just uh, love the whole way your life has panned out, you know, uh, from uh, kind of dealing with uh, car parts since you were a kid to kind of IS major to kind of running a conference company. You've uh, The way your life has kind of moved, it's pretty insane that way. And uh, <laughs> talk to us about uh, the sort of work that you did with uh, Gitcoin and uh, how it kind of what is the need for it to kind of transition into a DAO and uh, how is it for you personally to kind of see that whole shift and the impact it had? Yeah, Gitcoin had a specific use case as a uh, you know two sided marketplace um, and really almost like a three sided marketplace between the matching pool funders, the donors and. Otherwise, at the time, we also had the bounties and the hackathons. So we were looking at Gitcoin as like a, a ecosystem as a service. This is where the the builders and the communities connect and uh, kind of build this like co-ownership thing. And in the grants problem uh, realm, we saw the problem of uh, policing the rounds. Like you have to have some mechanism for saying who's allowed to participate and who isn't. If you think of Gitcoin, the donors... Uh, are very similar to like users on a social network and the grants are like posts and there's somebody who has to moderate which users are valid or eligible and which posts or grants are eligible to participate in this community. Um, we realized we had to make the protocol and a big part of that was that in the centralized system, we were, yeah, the police, we were, you know, playing God of the system and we want something that fit the web three ethos of, you know, the community decides for itself. Uh, so making the DAO, one of the first steps was to say, let's put these content moderation decisions 
in community ownership in the DAO. So that's why the fraud defense uh, workstream was one of the first things to kick up in the DAO is really saying, okay, the community owns this. And I specifically, you know, we we had a lot of people who moved from the company to the DAO earlier this year. Uh, I, I moved over in August because we wanted the fraud detection and defense work stream, FTD is call it, uh, to be doing those judgments not from the company. So people can say, hey, the company is choosing to do this or choosing to do that. So uh, I find that fascinating. I mean, uh, you wanted to maintain that Web3 ethos and make... Um, the whole grants choosing and the fraud detection aspect uh, more of a community run operation rather than in the hands of a specific core team itself. Now, for someone like you who was kind of used to dealing with uh, a core team and kind of shifting uh, to a completely chaotic um, DAO structure and uh, kind of dealing with contributors coming in and out, uh, what was the shift like for you and uh, what were the processes you kind of set in place until then? Yeah, well, you have your processes within a work stream, and then you have your processes with the many work streams coming together. And whether you're a uh, DAO that does work streams or pods or whatever, you're going to have some groups that are getting funded. And each of those groups has to figure out how authoritarian or totally flat their power structure is. And in a totally flat, you get nothing done. And in the authoritarian, you have this like tyranny issue and you're back to the old thing. Um, so you're trying to find this perfect balance of ordering chaos. Uh, and when we started up the DAO, I think uh, many of the work streams were trying to understand or play as if. The structure that we went with was that we have the governor alpha, which is a compound uh, use their governance system. Uh, if you use governance on Tally, you're familiar with it. Um, Uniswap then added some features and we added in a thing where people had to show that they learned and agreed with our values before being able to do this. And then they would delegate to somebody and it was forcing the delegation. So we got really great like voter turnout overall. And we had already put the plan in that these few work streams were gonna be a part of it. So the work streams, you might think of them as like, whitelisted things that are going to happen. It's just considering how much budget they're going to get. Um, so the structure is really that there's these structured work streams that have a specific function they're doing. And then we see other proposals come, especially at the beginning, there was a, you know, 40,000 40, GTC given to CLR fund because it matched our mission and that's what the stewards thought we should do. Um, so that's a more unstructured giving uh now we're primarily you know there's nothing stopping somebody from putting an unstructured proposal but we've gotten enough uh cohesion between the primary work streams that most of the things that will pass are quarterly budgets on a regular cadence for those work streams uh behind a unified vision we call them our purpose and essential intents uh that's what lets you know if the work you're doing is aligned or not and we have representatives from each work stream that meet regularly. We call them our cross-stream DAO operations group. Uh, two from each work stream meet every week to talk about process and then also to talk about strategy, you know, where we're going, what those essential tests are. Is the work that you're doing in or out of bounds? For something like uh, this sort of DAO structure that's kind of brought in place, 
how was the whole transition for you personally to kind of move from the startup environment to uh, that of uh, the whole dao structure itself how were these processes set up in place especially for uh, a complex work stream like ftd uh, where you know uh, the entire tech behind it is not like something like a marketing you know the, you know mm-hmm. you kind of have to develop a lot of these things um on uh, on the fly so the sort of people that you work with also should be uh, kind of on the really spot on there yeah there's there's different roles that we had so we we got our first budget about 2 weeks before grants round 11 which meant that we had to uh get all our uh just get our shit in order before the round happened which was really fast there's no way you're going to do this in a decentralized way so i communicated to our work stream right from the beginning here's what's going on uh we're not going to put this in trustware something hard coded our rules uh right away uh and because we don't have the mechanism for doing that i'm not going to pretend like this is decentralized like this is i'm just going to set this up we're going to get through this round and then we're going to start talking about it uh from there we then used a plan where every budget season we were putting out our uh roadmap to decentralization so one of my goals is being able to lead the work stream and it still runs properly um so you know we we've had a few hiccups along the way of trying to get there but we've been attempting to move in that direction uh the, the most interesting thing there is that you know you have to move in that direction in the same general speed with the other work streams right or else they don't understand what you're doing um so you really there's a lot to like manage behind that what i really find fascinating is uh, the team dynamics that come into play uh, for something as uh complex as ftd you know because uh how do you kind of because uh, when you have these sort of emergent contributors come in play the sort of dynamics that happen between something that's set uh how do you kind of traverse mm. that with uh with this sort of complex work stream and um how do you kind of build that sort of culture and keep it going in spite of any sort of uh sentiment Yeah that that's interesting um a big unlock for us was working with the ready we started with them in um December with uh Sam Sperlin from the ready in the FDD workstream and then by March he was working with us at the DAO level uh which is how a lot of things do spread it's like one workstream tries something they see a best practice works and then we share it out um i was like to think of those best practices it's like the moses story of like he comes down from mount with these two tablets and 10 commandments but like the thing what people a lot of times miss is that like he didn't just come down with anything like it's more like he put on to stone and made permanent the things that were successful in the culture already like he he came down and he said like it turns out if we don't like screw each other's like spouses and like kill each other like society works better so it's not like he was coming up with something super novel it's just noticing what works in the culture so the dows work like that a lot where you have this balance of top down and bottom up and one of the real interesting things we found is around like the decision making and how that process works like you can have legitimacy to a decision maker 
that comes in, in different ways, right? Not, not everything has to be consensus of the people who participate. Um, if you already by consensus decided that you're going to use a consent-based system where people work on things that are safe to try, if you clearly define boundaries and roles, like zero on our team is the one responsible for making sure all the grant reviews are executed and done in a proper way. He doesn't have to ask me about that. We know that that's his thing. He will ask me about it sometimes, looking for advice, guidance, if he's not sure about making a decision. But there is a level of, he has that uh, domain that is where he has like decision-making authority in there. And uh, the, the same goes for things like hiring and so forth. So making working agreements that delegate authority to different people by consent is a uh, really, really good practice to get into to give you some more agility in that. And one of the fascinating things that I see is uh, all these teams, uh, when you have to meet, the thing with the DAO is you kind of build a culture where you have to get things done. Um, and uh, the sort of team dynamics that come into play, uh, how are, uh, how do you kind of ensure that, uh, you know, uh, especially when it comes to a, a concept like uh, developing metrics for, uh, you know, something as, uh, as FTD or kind of building that sort of metrics for performance or payroll and, and compensation. There's a lot that goes into that, but especially when you're working for that sort of project, uh, it's not easy to kind of get that sort of data from uh, Google or something like that. It's something that you have to build on the go. You have to uh, kind of see the user that way. Uh, what has been the best practices that you've seen uh, when it comes to kind of building that sort of metrics uh, across the uh, various functions, uh, how's it kind of worked out for uh, the sort of work that you've done? I, I think the most important thing there is the idea of like, I always call it cadence and containers. It's like, do you set up the proper uh, spacing that the conversations that have to happen will happen, right? So you don't have to constantly ask permission to say, this is bothering me that you have a place where everybody goes and shares what's bothering them, right? So that, because you don't want people to feel like they're the one being like the sour, the wet rag, and they're like bringing everybody down by sharing this. So if you have a place for that, like if you identify something that is a problem, you don't necessarily need to solve the problem. Uh, like from a leadership perspective, what you're looking to do is make sure that the people who are participating recognize the problem, can come to uh, some type of shared understanding of what's causing the problem, and then make sure that they are willing to commit to participating in the time spaces. These are the containers uh, with the proper format. So what is your meeting format? Is it just one person saying a bunch of stuff? Or is it like workshop productive? Are you using design thinking skills in there? Um, does it allow for everybody to get their opinions out? Does it showcase ways of making decisions together? So you get the right containers and you practice those things on the right cadence. And what happens is the work streams tend to sync up. Uh, you don't have to mandate it over time. They're like, this isn't working. So I'll give you a hard 
concrete example for this. One of the things that was really tough for us, like early in this year, was our budgeting process was like a total surprise for everybody. It was like every three months, you're like, what the hell? Like, oh, they didn't want that. They didn't want this. So we said, well, let's have a process where over six weeks, you know, in these two weeks, you're doing retros with your group, and then you bounce it off these people where there's dependencies, and then you set your high-level objectives. Then you check back with the CSDO. Do they agree with those that they're a good objective? And if you think you're on the right path, then you go to the next level of setting, you know, letting the bottom-up group set their objectives. But now they at least have, like, outcomes that they know they're focused on. So they can take full ownership of what opportunities they focus on to get the outcomes that they want, right? And you already have consent of the leadership, the representatives from across the DAO. You already have consent of the steward council who represents the stewards. So by giving this like two-week cadence of like, all right, bring the information to the top-down apparatus and then bring it back to the bottom-up apparatus and take the learnings and bring it to the top-down and then bring it back to the bottom-up. If With that proper cadence and containers, the entire process is less cumbersome uh it works more efficiently and the group aligns itself um so with that i kind of understand that that's the sort of processes you build to kind of ensure that the teams kind of sync up and it's kind of a very harmonious way there's not a a lot of uh, backlog to kind of indulge your team in that way uh my question is with these sort of processes in place you know what i love about gitcoin is that um, you know you've kind of been able to uh, from the community itself it's not people that are coming in from um, like other organizations but from the community itself you're able to kind of harness a lot of stewards and co-contributors that really vibe with the mission uh, what can other DAOs derive from uh, Gitcoin with respect to how you're able to create a space for, um, you know, emergent contributors and uh, kind of develop that sort of innovation that we see at Gitcoin? I actually think we, you know, we could could do better on this. A lot of things, you know, we were learning during the first few months of the DAO, you first year of the DAO and still are. Um, I, I think we're very good at building the sense of community because people believe in what we're working on like funding public goods is not a hard message to sell um the the hard thing to do is to give the work streams the real autonomy to hire in the ways that they need to um but keeping the community engaged right like it's hiring somebody the only way that somebody can be a part of the community, right? Can they show up to Twitter spaces? Can they have special access to our DAO vibes meetings where they can sit in there? We have a role DAO citizen where it's like, okay, now if you've kind of passed some basic checks that you're aligned, values aligned, um, I always think like, you know, when people are building culture, well, like, what do you think of as like culture? When people say like culture in a company, like what? What's the first thing that comes to your head? Well, the thing is, it's um, the sort of uh, mindset that comes to play when there's a purpose in front of you. Is does that align? Does your working styles align towards achieving that mission? 
how does your uh, personal equation with everybody uh, kind of match when all these things uh, kind of match together i think that's a very harmonious culture and that that the whole um, aspect that makes all these things click is what's i what's what i feel is a sustainable culture um and then you think about this idea dows and they're supposed to be very open and i think a lot of times people mistake open or permissionless for uh an inclusivity um they're not exactly sure how to handle culture with that like uh how do you build a culture if you're open for anyone to participate like is culture not basically exclusivity it's built off the premise of being exclusive right no the, the way i see it um uh there should be an ease of ex- access but the way you kind of exude that sort of culture uh and how that uh, allows for that sort of um entry uh, i think uh, that makes a difference here that's what i feel personally uh for example i mean i'm just going to take uh, an example mm-hmm. out of your own book like um this is from uh, a post that fish biscuit made uh he was talking about the grassroots efforts you guys were making and how important the twitter spaces were to kind of get some of the best contributors that they've uh you guys have had including ali borda madison adams gary sheng and all of that uh so the thing is uh even though uh, it shouldn't be a completely free for all in terms of contribution but uh the opportunity should be available for everyone to participate it uh and uh you do that while constantly exuding uh that sort of um, uh the sort of brand identity the way in which you do things a lot of does fail to do that and that mm-hmm. they kind of get uh they see the numbers they see the uh, market movements and they get attracted by that and uh, a lot of these does they fail to kind of uh, project the image of the mission more than uh, the culture and what is needed to actually contribute with an impact and uh that is the difference that bitcoins really made in spite of having a token uh you know the, you know you could have had a lot of i know you kind of deal with a lot of uh, free riders and uh, people who want to uh, kind of just uh, leech off the sort yeah. of work that you've done but um the sort of uh, processes that you've put in place you know you have a key uh, like a core uh team that really exudes the values that bitcoin has put into place and uh more importantly it's a uh, all out nature of you kevin ovoki uh the sort of passion you have towards things like uh, region culture the way in which you want web3 projects to succeed when you exude all of that and when that becomes more than uh, the market price itself uh you tend to get that core bunch of people who contribute this is the way i see things from um from the outside you know from someone who has worked with a lot of uh, projects and uh you know i have not seen that sort of culture the way gitcoin has even though you uh, and you know one of the fascinating things for me that i wanted to ask you about was how did you guys do it you know i mean the culture the culture i think is definitely selective right like if you if you're going to be exclusive to something 
the idea in the future with like um, trustware systems, systems that are hard coded in DAOs, is that you're getting a high resolution democracy where like the people who participate can really make the decision of who's included and who's isn't. So imagine like what I'm hearing from you is that externally, when you look at Gitcoin, it seems like the culture is something around the people who are there believe in like optimism, uh, regenerative society. They believe in like the potential of Web3 and that it's not quite there. And those are the things that are most aligned. The sort of uh, success that's driven the sort of projects that's uh, kind of uh, gotten a grant. When you take a look at the sort of projects that were just kind of uh, bootstrapped and they were able to make a difference and how those projects who succeeded have come together to kind of uh, boost that Gitcoin mission also. I think uh, that also adds a phenomenal um, a cultural shift to the way people want to contribute to that. Right. It's not all about transactional sales selling. It's about supporting. Um, so that that culture is interesting because that is exclusive to the people who are about the selling, right? Like we constantly have things up about like, if you're just here to talk about price. If you're here to talk about airdrop farming, like this is not the server for you. So, so we're, we do build a culture by being exclusive, but being exclusive about the right things, right? Like now, if you have a good high resolution democracy and you want to be inclusive, the way people say, like, we're, we're inclusive here. You don't want your DAO to forget that you are exclusive based on these choices people make in personality, how they're, what they're excited about and so forth. And then you get a group of people, a core group of people who are mission aligned. And when they're mission aligned, they can do things together where they say, okay, we don't have enough representation here. How are we going to solve that and fix that? So your, your inclusivity efforts, um, really stem from getting a group of people are mission aligned and value aligned. It's very interesting to me that building the culture like starts with being exclusive before you can be inclusive because with without creating that that boundary from the people who would be extractors, um, you're going to then have people using more of the resources there's great articles from like Vinay Gupta was putting a few out the other day around like why did the communes not work and it's like because they start value aligned and then there's more and more people who fall come in and aren't as aligned and eventually you have more extraction than you have addition to this and it's a pretty simple thing i think a lot of DAOs learned that lesson over the last year especially as the bear market rolled in it's one of those things where like when the tide's down you see who's not wearing pants and uh a lot of the DAOs weren't wearing pants uh, that must have been uh, an unpleasant sight then <laughs> <laughs> but um the question remains you know i mean um i think uh, you're right that uh, kind of allowing for that sort of filtration gets you a core bunch of people that will stick around in spite of uh, any sort of market movements. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, having, uh, there are these ideas that you kind of tend to pop up. We just had a couple of episodes on that, that uh, uh, 
DAOs should be having uh, an on-chain reputation system to kind of uh, allow for uh, uh, that sort of uh, performance and to reward that sort of uh, contributors for their performance and to allow them to have greater roles uh, by rewarding them with uh, on-chain badges or things like that. Do, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think uh, that could uh, lead to significant performance and uh, uh, any faster sifting of the community for an improved contributor base? Like, I know what we're referring to. We're talking about, like, within one organization with a single funding source that has a mission. Um, but we're not the only people with that mission, you know? There's the Regen Collective. There's, like, P uh, Public Nouns just launched, you know? And they're giving money to us, but also Metacartel and other things. Um, you know, there's Giveth. There's tons of great organizations out there. And the whole idea of, like, decentralized autonomous organizing is that you're participating in it autonomously so you're not beholden to one or another right like you can be participating in many you're participating in the act of organizing in decentralized autonomous way and a lot of people choose to have their funds come from one because they have either that rule or they if it's like me i can't context switch that much so i just rather do one thing a lot um the the role there, I, I think, then is like or the reputation within like the DAO or the organization, as you're saying it there. I don't think they're very important or valuable, um, but the role in terms of our reputation, in terms of composable, uh, composability whether it's within the DAO, but more so outside of the DAO. Like this person is a skilled data scientist and they've participated in X number of things. They've contributed to these repositories. You know, this person is staking on them, willing to back their skill. Uh, this person is like, you know, has sent them, these organizations have sent them their little stamps of approval. I think that like uh, that uniqueness that's provided to individuals will help us in the overall decentralized autonomous organizing. But like within the DAO, I think it's more about like keeping things within the limits of what um, like Ostrom's rules of social economic systems uh, are going to say they'll handle at the social layer. So like pods is looking at this a lot. Like, okay, if you're like a two pizza team, as they call it, then you don't have a problem. Like in Ostrom's work, it was like she noticed that commons aren't that difficult to manage without the social economic system because you only needed the social system when there's, say, four farmers and one of the farmer's cows is grazing on another farmer's grass. They don't need like an economic system to get over the tragedy of the commons or a free rider problem. <laughs> what they do is one walk, farmer walks over the other. He's like, what the hell, man? Like your cow's eating all my grass. And they're like, oh, sorry, I didn't notice. We'll do this to fix that, right? And they solve it at the social layer. So within the DAOs, I, I'm not particularly bullish. I'm not not bullish. It would be great to be able to say, hey, we're going to airdrop this reward to every contributor of Gitcoin who's been around this long or for <laughs> everybody who's done this thing. Um, yeah, more importantly, I think that 
within the DAO, the reputation should come from actual ownership of like every sub level. Like if you work for this work stream and you're in this squad, you should have actual like token ownership from an issuance curve of the token of that squad, that work stream and the part. So if that thing that you contribute to in the beginning goes on to do great things, if you were the janitor at the first McDonald's ever, you would have gotten a ton of tokens for being a part of that team early on, right? That's that's the thing. Like that whole thing couldn't have been built if that first team wasn't successful. So everybody's building on top of that. That's the interesting thing about the DAOs. Like, um, and and that's something that really tells you about the reputation. Like, when in a process did they get in? Did they hold on? Yeah. So uh, what you are saying is that um, rather than have a badge for everything. Uh, the sort of reputation that comes in should uh, be a proportional to the time you've uh, kind of stayed. I mean, just like uh, uh, just like the way it works in Web2 to some extent, that uh, how much you've really given to the company, if we could measure that and allow for that sort of um, tokens or ownership to be given out, uh, you kind of get a, 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 like a harmonious relationship between uh, the impact of work that you've done and uh, the sort of ownership that you get from a very uh, composable reputation that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, I think um, the 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 point there is that you got to separate like the data generation of the idea of badges um, to what its component parts are uh, and why you're doing them. So one of the data generation ideas, whether you're doing it through a verified credential or an NFT or SBT or like a sticker they get to wear around at a conference, um, the idea is that there's one party that's making a claim and another that's accepting it, right, and wearing that. And then they have autonomy and sovereignty on how they share that information with others. And once it's shared, then people have to bring it back into context so we're talking about like an etl process of like how do we like transform the data about something that happened in the real world into something that is data format that we can read and use in scoring models of some other thing now when i say scoring i don't mean like crazy algorithm i mean this is like you being like i'm gonna bring all the people in a red shirt right now over to this room Right. You looked at the data that was there. You made a decision. You scored it like it didn't take an algorithm that's like a black box. Right. But you said these people can participate in this or cannot participate in whatever thing you're going to do. So the idea behind all these badges and stuff like Passport is an attempt to aggregate this. It's an ETL layer where everybody understands how to read the information because Every unique NFT that's out there or on-chain signal you can find can be turned into a binary one or no, yes, they do, or yes, they don't have it. So that's an ETL layer. And now you need a layer for context. Like, what does this actually mean? So you're going to find people doing meta stamping and putting badges, which are like, oh, they had all of these stamps or all of these on-chain signals. Now we give them this badge or stamp. Right? And it's one more thing. And what that means, like, I think a lot of people are mistaking that you can put the meaning of that into the holder side of it. Like, you have this badge, so it means you can claim that you did this. Well, 
that's up to the person who's judging that, right? Like, just because you're wearing a red shirt doesn't mean I'm going to include you in the room. I might be like, hey, everybody, red shirt's included. And then I point at five people with blue shirts and bring them in. If I'm the reader, if I'm the person doing the scoring, it's it's all about the observer side for where reputation comes. So, like, I I really think in, there's a world where, like, the the communities themselves are scoring based on all this information. So there's this group of people who are out there trying to say, how much data and information can we get out there into the world about you in a verifiable way, in a sovereign way, in a human readable way? Uh, and then there's the other side of how do we use the reputation? So just separate the ETL piece from like the scoring piece. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of find that very fascinating because a lot of the communities, they have this, um, uh, the way they kind of do things within this DAO, they kind of, uh, every DAO has a very subjective way of doing things, but they give out badges for everything. Uh, and every communities, uh, they have a very subjective mission, uh, you know, the whole NFT side of things, the whole social tokens, there's so much going on there. And mm -hmm. you expect contributors to come in and uh, kind of get a badge for everything. But as you rightly mentioned, that uh, in the end, uh, reputation is not just about what's going on within those pockets or communities. It's how you're seen throughout the ecosystem. And uh, that in the whole, it's uh, the reputation itself. So when uh, you have these, uh, every single DAO coming out with their own uh, on-chain uh, reputations for getting that sort of team performance and dynamics, uh, should uh, DAO, I mean, there's a lot, there's going to be a lot of confusion if, if you just kind of uh, are kind of trying to assess that. I mean, if I'm trying to assess whether I should get somebody, I don't want to have to sift through uh, 10,000 PO apps uh, and NFTs uh, and I have to sit and wonder whether that makes sense along with uh, the uh, off chain resume itself. So, should DAOs kind of come together to have a standard reputation system that works uh, for certain key activities and things like that. Maybe there are aspects that kind of work from a cultural standpoint that could be stepped aside, but you know, could there be a way in which uh, that sort of reputation system should be built as a standard? Yeah, I mean, I think they should participate in aggregation layer things. Like, um, you don't need to tell them what the information is that they need to, that would be a very like top-down way of doing it. it, probably won't work. But you just said all these different groups are coming up with their own reputation that means something to them, right? And uh, what what we, we would wanna know is, well, does your community understand that community? Do they, do they trust that community and the reputation they have, right? And two communities might come together and they'll say, well, we both, think that this means this thing and a third community will come in they'll start a little network effect around that thing and if, if there's enough people interested in that they can bring this to the aggregator layer and say let's make a stamp on this right like in passport on orange protocol whatever that is and these protocols will then need to have access because it's a positive sum game it's all open source right you can fork passport and make your own stamps um, at some point, there's going to be enough 
you know, there's no reason for Gitcoin to be the only group that's the uh, gatekeeper of stamps. You can fork it and make your own set of stamps with your own four or five communities that you think have reason to be interested in. And then as you fork it, you might make some updates. And now we have to think about like, what's the canonical chain of information for like what we can understand across the ecosystem. This is how protocol develops. You know, you start a protocol is like a standard that you all agree to participate in so that you identify what areas are ripe for innovation and which ones we've already agreed we've settled so that we can innovate together in a positive some way. So I see like a future for things like Passport as a protocol, our grants of having uh, a personhood uh, aggregation or projecthood aggregation of reputation. So we're not interested in like telling communities how, what tools they should use for it or anything. All we're interested in doing is making it so that uh, in your funding stack, the way that you split, if you have a group of people, the three of us, we want to split some funds that we have between us and we need to do it in a legitimate way. Well, we want to give you the stack of tools, the funding stack. This is how you decide who gets to participate, user eligibility, what groups can be funded and what causes can be funded within that, you know, who the whitelist addresses are, the grant eligibility and the funding mechanism you're going to use, quadratic funding. Do you put pairwise on it or DSOC type uh, algorithm? Do you, what are you incentivizing with that? So we're just here to enable as many permutations as possible and to share the learnings from all our different side rounds and communities, what worked best for them. Right. So when I think about like any of this reputation and so forth, I think of it from the point of how do we uh, enable, build tools that enable more communities to communicate what's happening in their funding stack, whether that is reputation or whatever. We're not trying to get anybody to use the tools that we're building specifically for their community. We're trying to say, how do we connect communities so that the information they have is something that's valuable to learn from one another? I think that's fascinating that you want to build a, a protocol that's uh, kind of uh, uh, enabling that sort of uh, composable reputation on top of uh, your protocol that way. What are the excited, I mean, uh, when you talk about the roadmap for Bitcoin that way, uh, what are the exciting developments that you see ahead uh, when it comes to uh, the uh, Gitcoin passports and the grants rounds ahead uh, uh, in that sense? Yeah, I think the most exciting thing in our future right now is the launch of the grants protocol itself. Um, over this next, we have a round coming up with Phantom that's going to be the first one that runs fully on the grants protocol. So this is three important pieces as there's a decentralized user registry. This is passport, right? They have to, you have to check your wallet through a passport. And then you have a grant hub, which is the registry of grants, a decentralized registry there. And then you have the round manager where anybody can run around. Uh, for now, we're the only UI because we haven't even launched these, you know, backend protocols yet. There's also a grant explorer to find the grants. Um, so these will all run through our UI to start, but it'll be, it's totally open source. So anybody can fork it and run rounds 
of their own through their community, either through our UI. So think of the grants protocol being like Uniswap, where anybody can fork it and access the protocol and interact with it. And what we're going to be doing is uh, helping more communities to learn best practices and building more tools to give them uh, higher resolution democracy decision making in their funding stack, right? So one community might uh, use quadratic funding like we're using, and another might use quadratic voting like the module we're building for optimism. And uh, there's many other funding stacks, but when a, your community comes along and says, what should we do? We want to be there empowering the community to share learnings around, well, which one is optimal? What what use case do you have? Is it best, is quadratic voting best for this and funding is best for this type of situation? Um, what civil defense are you going to use? Are you going to use just proactive things, which gatekeep? It's more ethical than pulling votes out of the ballot that have already been made. However, maybe it's only short-term more ethical because you actually gate off all the people who it's the long tail people quadratic voting is made to um, empower, right? Maybe the reactive thing where we just shut them down after the fact and remove their ballots is actually more beneficial because we use real good data, only take the worst ones out and more people get to participate and we're not gatekeeping a power structure that only people privileged enough to have the time or already have the Twitter and GitHub and these Western uh, tools are more privileged into the access of getting stamps for, right? So I think gatekeeping compounds over time and every instance. So if we want to build entrenched power structures, gatekeeping without other options is a great way to do it. So that's why like, we might empower communities to choose that funding stack. Do they want the gatekeeping or do they want something more reactive? And then we can just learn from it and help the communities learn from each other. Um, yeah, we don't know what's right. But you guys have done quite a bit of success so far. So I don't think uh, that would be a problem down the line also that way. <laughs> uh, you've dealing with a lot of projects down the line. I mean, uh, and you've been tracking, I feel, uh, uh, a lot of the trends within the space. Uh, what do you find exciting within the uh, DAO space in terms of uh, developments? And I think um, the idea of trustware, socialware, and hyperstructures is the most exciting idea that's going to begin to catch on during the next bull run. I don't think it's really caught on mainstream yet, but the idea of the hyperstructures is that you can have this system that is self-sustaining, like what Bitcoin or Ethereum are doing. And can we make DAOs be that, where you have an issuance of a token and people participate and the rules of it are hard-coded in trustware, right? Like it's actually coded in a system you can't do wrong. And via trustware, a DAO can select a goal. So they might say, uh, like Gitcoin says, basically, until capital is optimally allocated in the world, uh, if you invest in Gitcoin, we're going to catalyze your investment into people making sure we solve that problem. So if that's what you want, if there's more people solving that problem that are coming through Gitcoin DAO, uh, then there's more people who are going to invest their money into holding it in GTC to catalyze that. So the value of it goes up. Now you have a win-win situation. The value of the thing is going up with 
the results of people actually doing that thing because there's going to be more people incentivized to work on that one goal. If you can fully hard code uh, trustware, that virtuous cycle, and most importantly, that the value of that thing, when the goal is reached, there's no more value. So it all goes away and dissolves instead of a company organization now living on to be parasitic or cancerous in society that they dissolve. Once we have hyperstructures like that, and we can code out the trustware in a way that actually makes the social systems work better. Um, that's like the quadratic lands to me. Like that's where Gitcoin DAO is taking us is like the quadratic lands. That, that, that's what it is. It's this place where like, you walk around and if something is not working properly, you're like, that's really weird. The government didn't fund this properly. Like it never screws up our government. I've never seen that before. It's weird. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> I mean, it's fascinating to see that uh, you want to have that sort of structures on, on chain itself where um, good outcomes are kind of given precedence and anything that leans towards uh, a negative outcome should allow for the doubt to be resolved rather than uh, kind of see bureaucratic um, uh, structures like companies come in. The way I see it, uh, you kind of, will kind of have an alignment between both. You need that sort of flexibility because situations are so dynamic. But at the same time, the, uh, because you don't know how the world operates and how people are, you can't have every single parameter on scene. And the world is... Uh, I mean, the thing with a lot of coders is that they think they can have every parameter within, they can try to contain the world within code. But the funny thing about human beings and the world in general is that uh, there will always be things that will always be beyond your control and a kind of allowing for that sort of room, uh, that is the social layer to have that balance uh, with what could be um, coded and, uh, uh, you know, you could have that sort of deterministic outcomes on chain. Uh, that balance uh, in a DAO, I think uh, that will be pretty epic to see down the line. And I think uh, this, uh, this sort of developments is what we'll continue to see down the line as well. With that, uh, we come to a close. Uh, the sort of insights that we've uh, gained about how uh, the team dynamics is played out and the sort of processes that's made Gitcoin what it is. It's been really fascinating to hear that from you. I love the sort of ideas that you had. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. How can people follow you? And um, if you have any sort of initiatives that you want people to kind of know or contribute to, please let them know. Yeah, it's pretty easy. Just follow me, Disruption Joe, on anything. And uh, that's it. Um, I'll, I'll share any of the upcoming things that we're looking for there uh, for any data people. Uh, keep an eye out for our data hackathon, which uh, is going to be going on all of the month of October. We're giving everybody all of the wallets and contribution data from uh, Grants Round 15. Uh, we're like giving them passport stamps and some other on-chain identifiers and just letting them explore label features, find new insights uh, to help it uh, grow and become better. 